Good evening everyone, welcome to the webcast. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, as you can see, it's just me this evening. Last week, Barry was on his own while I was leading the Father Heart Encounter in the UK. And this week I'm on my own because Barry is speaking at the School of Ministry in Toronto. Um, next week, we'll be both be back together again before I go off to Uganda uh, a week on Friday, which I'm very looking forward to. So um, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. But thank you for joining us. It's, it's just so good that you, you take the time to be, to be with me this evening, with me today. Um, just before I start, just like to mention a couple of things. Um, first of all, a reminder that um, Barry and I are doing uh, a conference, two conferences together in the flesh <laughs> in May. We are in the Netherlands from Thursday the 4th of May to Sunday the 7th of May. That's the residential uh, weekend um, uh, and uh, all of the accommodation and everything else is included in the price. Um, and then the following weekend, the 12th to the 14th of May, we're together in Gloucester in the UK. And that one is a non-residential um, weekend. And the Gloucester one, you're, you're free to come for the Friday evening, the Saturday, um, the Sunday morning in the church or the whole lot. Um, but if you're interested in those two events, the details are on our website, fatherheart.uk. Go to the events page and look for um, Deeper Homecoming. And uh, that's where you'll find the information the book, and the link to the booking forms for both of those two uh, conferences. They, even the non-residential one we're asking you to register for so we can have an idea of numbers and how many people a church need to cater for coffee and important things like that for. So um, really looking forward to having Barry over here in, in May and, of course, looking forward to spending time with him and Anne um, and just having some fun together. Uh, it was 2019 that we were last together in the flesh. I mean, obviously, we're together most weeks, but uh, the last time we were in, in reality together was, was nearly four years ago. So we're both looking forward to that. Um, so that's kind of just the, the notice. As I said, um, a week on Friday, I go to Uganda with Mike, Mike Hammond, who's on the, the webcast uh, with us tonight. We're going for two weeks and we're doing a father heart encounter and then we're helping train the staff at Motor Mione, um and then also um, spend some time encouraging them and um, you know, just being with them and seeing what's, what they're doing. So really value your prayers in, in the lead up for that. And uh, as we go in, a, in just over a, a week's time, um, just, you know, I mean, I've been to Motomi only many times. It's a beautiful, safe place. Um, but, you know, traveling in Africa is always a bit more of a challenge and, and so on. So really just appreciate any prayers uh, over that couple of, of weeks. Um, yeah, so um, this week um, I, I thought I'd talk about the authority of sons. Um, now, authority very often is one of those words we don't like. Um, uh, and, you know, maybe we don't like it because it's been misused or abused. Um, and so kind of when we talk about authority, we sometimes we want to run a mile. You know, we think of authoritarian school teachers or headmasters. 
maybe authoritarian bosses or maybe even parents or whatever. And we don't really like the word authority. Um, but I want to talk about that today because I really believe that as, as sons and daughters of the Father, um, he gives us authority. And I want to start with the story of the, the two sons in Luke 15. Uh, we know the story well, so we won't look it up. But in, in Luke 15, the, uh, the younger son goes away takes his money, um, wastes it all on, on wasteful living, and then eventually comes to his senses. You know, in the pig pen, eating the pig food, dirty, you know, unclean, and probably stinking, or, you know, whatever. He suddenly comes to his senses, and he realises that um, his father's servants uh, are better off than he is. So he decides to go home with a simple request, you know, Hey, Dad, I'm back. Can I be a servant? I'm not worthy to be a son. And, um, you know, basically all he wants is a roof over his head and some food in his stomach. You know, he's not looking for a relationship. He's not looking to be reinstated. He just wants food <laughs> and maybe a bit of warmth and maybe a shower or bath or whatever they had in those days. But he goes home. The father sees him from a long way off, runs out to meet him throws his arms around him and and embraces him, brings him into that, that, that hug, that, that hug, that embrace of, of welcome. And he doesn't even let the son finish his speech. You know, he basically says, no, 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 shut up. <laughs> You're my son. You know, you belong to the family. You're part of the family. I've been waiting for you to come home. And, uh, you know, as far as the father is concerned, you know, coming back as a servant is not... Is not is not gonna not gonna happen. This son is coming home, and he's going to be fully reinstated into the family. And what the father does is he gets the best robe. He puts the robe around the son's shoulders. He covers his shame. He covers his filth. He puts the best robe, probably the father's robe, puts it round him. Puts some sandals on his feet. That's very significant because servants don't wear sandals. They go bare feet, barefooted. So that kind of finishes it off as far as the son is concerned. You know, he's got sandals on his feet. Um, you know, it's very clear. If it wasn't clear by then, it's clear then when he puts the sandals on. He has put a robe on, he puts the sandals on. But he also gives him a ring. And that ring signifies, you know, absolute belonging. It signifies an authority. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, you know, the next day, hopefully you'd have had a bath or something, but the next day that young man could have gone into the town centre, he could have gone to the marketplace, and he could have done business on his, on his father's behalf. All the other people in the community would have known what had happened. They would have known that the son had gone off. They would have heard him come back. They would have heard the party. And then the next day, there he is in the marketplace with his ring on, acting on behalf of his father. And people would have had to notice that. They would have taken notice and they would have had to respond to that young man as if it were the father himself. See, there was no doubt the boy was back. You know, he'd been totally 
redeemed. And he'd been given back everything he'd walked away from. You know, he walked away from it very, very easily. You know, he he took the money, he dishonoured his father, and he just walks away. But everything that he walks away from is given back to him in those symbols of the robe, the ring, and the sandals, and of course the party that followed. And, you know, I guess sometimes we look at things like this and we think, how could the father let him have that position back straight away? Because we're so conditioned that if, you know, something, if we were in that sort of... um, position ourselves we would probably expect a rehabilitation process or maybe we've even done that with other people when they've wronged us or or made a mistake we we kind of rehabilitate them over a long period of time entrusting them with things step by step but that doesn't seem to have happened in this in this story because what seems to happen in this story is you know the father's waiting he's watching He's longing for his son to come home. And as soon as he sees him, he doesn't listen to the arguments, but he just embraces him and says, welcome home, you belong. And uh, that ring of authority is, is very, very significant because it's a sign to everybody else that, you know, that boy carries all of the father's authority. And they need to listen to him. They need to act upon what he says. You know, he's got clout. <laughs> you know, a few days before he'd been in the pig pens eating pig food, he had nothing. He comes home and he's given everything. And I think when we see that sort of transformation in people, we take notice, don't we? You know, we, we sit up and think, gosh, that's a change. You know, something's happened. And that's clearly what happened for this this young guy, this son. He came home, he was totally redeemed. He was put back into the place of sonship that he'd he'd run away from. There's um, another story in the Bible where a man receives a ring. And it's the story of Joseph and Pharaoh. You know, we we know the story very well. Um, Joseph has a dream. Um, and it perplexes him, he can't understand it, and uh, one of his servants remembers from a time when he was in prison that there was another prisoner, Joseph, who could interpret dreams. And Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and basically says, Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine, and you need to prepare for the famine in the years of the plenty. And, you know, Pharaoh likes this idea of preparation and and planning and everything and looks around for a man who can implement this on his behalf. And he picks Joseph. You know, Joseph was an immigrant. He was a he was a you know, he was a slave. He'd come from another country. He wasn't he wasn't an Egyptian. He didn't belong. He didn't know all of their customs and behaviors. But. This guy is taken and promoted by Pharaoh to be number two in the land. And at the end of Genesis chapter 41, verses 39 onwards, you know, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, 
there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way, make way. And he was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You know, here's, an, here's a nobody. You know, this guy was in prison. Uh, you know, a couple of days before this happens, he interprets the dream. Pharaoh sees something in him. And Pharaoh takes his ring off and puts it on Joseph. You know, he gives Joseph his authority. Um, and he tells Joseph the whole country. And he probably told the whole country, hey, you've got to listen to this guy. I bet that caused a bit of resentment. Um, probably like with the, the younger son in Luke 15. You know, people don't like listening to a nobody. And here are two stories of nobodies who are taken and given authority. And, uh, you know, when, 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 when Joseph spoke, it was as good as Pharaoh himself speaking. And the first thing I want to say about authority is that we are given it. We are given authority. We do not take it. And I think one of the main reasons why we see a lot of abuse of authority or misuse of authority is because people take it to themselves. They're not given it. And here we see in these two stories very, very clearly the younger son and Joseph they were both given authority and they were given authority for a specific purpose. They were given authority to act on behalf of another. You know, in the younger son's case, it was acting on behalf of his father. In Joseph's case, it was acting on behalf of, of Pharaoh. And I think that's really important for us to understand is that we are given authority not to um, take something to ourselves, but to act on behalf of another. And I believe as we grow as sons and daughters, we grow in authority. It's an authority that doesn't come from our own strength or our own abilities, but it's, it's a God-given authority and it's a result of the Holy Spirit living in us. It's not, um, it's not driven by pride or arrogance or selfish ambition. But we, we're called to, to follow the path of Jesus, the path of humility. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so, as we talk about authority, I want us to remember these few foundational things. We were given authority so that we can act on behalf of another. And whenever we we act, whatever we do, we have the, the nature of Jesus. We seek to have the heart of Jesus, you know, to that servant-hearted, gentle humility that uh, Jesus could take upon himself, even though he was the Son of God and he knew it. You know, we know that we're the Son of God, but yet we're called to walk this path of humility and gentleness. Um, you know, a father gives his children authority because he knows them. He trusts them. That's what I think is very clear from these two stories. Clearly, Pharaoh felt he could trust Joseph. And that's amazing. You know, this guy had been a prisoner. He was a foreigner, you know, and uh, Pharaoh decides that he can trust him over and above all of the other Egyptians who are perhaps his advisors or key people in his government or whatever. He, he takes this nobody and, um, you know, gives him authority. Um, and he clearly trusted him. Clearly the father in Luke 15 could trust, felt he, you know, he wanted to trust his son because that's what you do in a family. You know, you, you don't hold judgment but you want to trust and you want to see, you want to release people, you want to release your sons and daughters, your children, to grow. And the only way people grow is by being trusted and being given something. And the point is, you know, sometimes we make mistakes. Uh, children make mistakes when they're growing up and we have to help them with that. We make mistakes, of course we'd make mistakes. But what I want to say about this is, mistakes do not disqualify us see in the world if we make a mistake in our job or in our workplace or something like that if we make a mistake we're very very often disqualified we're written off we're not necessarily given another chance other people might be promoted above us and you know that doesn't do our heart any good but in the kingdom in the family of God, the mistakes we make, they do not disqualify us. They're an opportunity for training, correction, but they should lead to us being released into a place of greater freedom. And I want to say to you, you know, those of you who are listening today, those of you who are watching later, that if you feel you've made a mistake, in whatever area in your life however long ago however recently if you feel you've made a mistake and you feel that mistake has disqualified you you know I want to tell you that's not the heart of the father see we all make mistakes and you know when when we do the father doesn't reject us he doesn't write us off but he he's always there he gives us that choice to to turn and come back and find a way through it. It's all with him. It's always, always redemptive. Now, of course, we've got a choice. You know, we can make a mistake and we can choose to carry on walking in that pathway of rebellion and, and independence. 
And whilst we're walking in that way, you know, the Father is not going to necessarily trust us with, with, with his authority. But when we can turn and come back to him through repentance, then, you know, he will always, always be redemptive. And those mistakes will never disqualify us because we're his sons and daughters. He never rejects us. He never pushes us away. He never bring, you know, passes over us with, with, with other people. His, his heart is always for us. And so I just want to say to you if, you, if you feel that your mistakes are hindering you, there is a pathway of redemption and there's a pathway that will lead you into a place of greater freedom. And I want to encourage you to find that. Um, and because, you know, the younger son, Luke 15, he turned around, he came home. He made that choice to come home. OK, he had another agenda, but he made the choice to come home. And that enabled the father to welcome him, put the robe on him, put the sandals on his feet and put the ring on his finger. See, fathers give their children room to make mistakes and to be redeemed back from them and set into that, onto that pathway of greater freedom. In John chapter 16, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's, he's, he's really sort of showing them you know, what life is going to be like once he's, he's died and gone back to be with the Father. Uh, he's trying to prepare them. And they don't always get it. In fact, they, in fact, they constantly say, you know, we don't understand what you're talking about. You're speaking in riddles. You know, why don't you speak clearly? You know, they're not getting it. But he's trying to show them... Um, that they have the same relationship with the Father as he has. And they just can't get hold of it um, until towards the end of John chapter 16 when they suddenly get it and they say, now, now we understand. Now you're speaking clearly. But it's, 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 it's you know, they've been with Jesus three years. They've listened to his teaching. They've been with him this last week. And they, they're kind of seeing the crowd's mood change towards him. They realise something's going to happen. He keeps talking about being taken away and, and killed. And they don't really understand what it's all about. But, um, you know, his, his, in, in what he's saying in, in these chapters, he's trying to prepare them. And he says in John 16, verse 23, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It says, Jesus says, you won't need to ask me for anything, but instead you will go directly to the Father and you will ask him for anything you desire and he will give it to you because of your relationship with me. Now, that's quite a change in for the disciples because that's not how they've been operating. You know, and they, they're used to talking to Jesus. He's been with them for three years. And now Jesus is saying, hang on, guys, you know, there's, there's a change coming. You won't need to ask me, but you can go directly to the Father. In verse 26 uh, of John 16, Jesus says, uh, 
a similar thing. He kind of reiterates. He said, I will not need to ask the Father on your behalf, but you will ask him directly because of your new relationship with me. And he's trying to show the disciples that they've got direct access to the Father. And just as the disciples had that direct access to the Father, so we too have direct access to the Father. We can go to the Father. You know, in the same way Jesus goes to the Father, we can go to the Father. We can, we can ask the Father directly. And that's, you know, that's um, a beautiful gift. You know, it's really, Jesus is just saying, hey, this relationship that you've known with me is just about to expand. Because not only are you going to know me, but you can know my Father, who is your Father. And what's more, you can have the Spirit coming into you to remind you of all of these things and to help you and to instruct you. See, this, Jesus is saying, hey, this is just about to get bigger. And just as it was for the disciples in those early days, it's the same for us. That Jesus wants us to see this expansive relationship where we can relate to the Father, we can relate to the Spirit, and of course we can relate to the Son, our big brother. And, you know, just a few verses before in John 14, verse 18, Jesus has said to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You know, I'm coming to you. And, you know, he obviously recognizes in those disciples that there was quite a bit of orphan-hearted ways still within them. And he says, guys, no, I don't want to leave you like this. I'm going to come to you because I want you to know that you are my brothers and I want you to know that you are sons and daughters to the Father. That's what Jesus says after the resurrection to Mary. You know, Mary, go and tell my brothers that I am going to my Father and their Father. See, he's just showing them that this has just got bigger and better. And the fact that we can go to the Father is... Um, I think it's 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 it, it's it's really what happened when the son came home in Luke 15. You know, he was reinstated into the family as a son, but he was also brought back into the family business. And you know, probably as a young guy, he wouldn't have had all of the experience. He wouldn't have necessarily known what to do all of the time and. Uh, and whatever but he's brought back into the family he's brought back into the family business and inevitably I think he would have had to ask his father how, how to do it and that's the same for us you know we are working we are part of the father's family business we call it the kingdom of heaven and this is this is where we need that gentle heart of a servant the tenderness, uh, humility, you know, that we we have to recognise that we can't do it all ourselves. <laughs> you know, we haven't got all of the answers. You know, we certainly can't begin to try to be, you know, counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, we have to recognise that we, we haven't got a clue. 
And it's in that recognition that we can come to the Father and say, hey, Father, I need you to show me what to do. See, the Lord's Prayer, the, G- the prayer that Jesus taught his uh, disciples, we call it the Lord's Prayer. But I actually think it ought to be called the Son's Prayer because Jesus is showing his disciples how to pray. When you pray, you can call God Father. That would have been a huge shock to them. But Jesus says, no, it's okay. When you come, you can call him Father. And praying, by the way, is just a conversation with God. It's nothing, you know, it's nothing more than that. It's just us as sons and daughters talking to our Father. And we call that prayer. And Jesus says, when you, when you talk to your Father, just, you know, just ask that the will of heaven would come to earth. And Jesus is giving us permission. (laughs) He's giving you and me permission to go to the Father, the creator of the universe, and say, Father, what little bit of heaven do you want me to bring to earth today? See, that's what I think that that prayer means. You know, it's a prayer we can can say daily and we can go to the Father and say, Father, here I am. You know, I'm coming directly to you because of my relationship with you. And I want to know today, what little bit of heaven can I bring to earth? And that, I think, is the simplicity of it. You know, I think sometimes we we make it a bit more complicated, but I think in essence, that's it. Because that's all Jesus did. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying. And he teaches us to do the same thing. And so I think this is what it, this is what it looks like when we step into the authority that the Father wants to give us. You know, we're not running around madly doing things in our own strength, out of our own wisdom, but we're, we're coming to him and saying, Father, what do you want to give me? Because remember, authority is given. You know, Father, what do you want to give to me that I can give? To the world around me and I think he he will surprise us we will be surprised by what we hear him say and what we see him do because all we're doing is seeking to do what he does and say what he says and that's the thing that will change the world you know all of our, our activity all of our busyness is is great but when we really live in union with him like Jesus did we really truly will see the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And, you know, Jesus is defining this new relationship and telling his disciples they can go directly to the Father. And he just really wants to make it absolutely clear, you know, John 16, verse 27, the Father himself loves you. You know, that's why this is happening. Not because of what you do for him, but because the Father loves you. And he wants you to know that you're loved. The end of John 17, verse 26, you know, Jesus says, I've given them the revelation of who you are. I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. You see, a father gives his children authority. Our heavenly father wants to give us authority to do his work on this earth. He wants to give us his authority to bring change to other people. And 
he gives it to sons and daughters. He gives it to people who will walk humbly and gently with him. And he does it simply, bottom line, because he loves us. Yet when we read Hebrews, the first couple of chapters of Hebrews, we see that um, Jesus was a a son with authority. You know, Hebrews starts off by saying, uh, in the past God spoke to us through prophets, but now he speaks to us through his son. And the first couple of chapters of Hebrews, he describes what Jesus is like. And, you know, these are just a few of the things. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world. He radiates the Father's glory. He's anointed with gladness. He's got power over sin and death. He can set us free from slavery and death. He can sustain the whole universe with his voice. He loves righteousness. He hates wickedness. And he's now sat down at the Father's right hand. Yeah, that's some authority. You know, um, but it's exercised. What I love is it's exercised from a place of rest. He has sat down at the Father's right hand. And in that position of seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, he exercises this authority as, as heir of all things, the creator of the world, sustaining everything with his voice, radiating glory, bringing healing, yeah, transforming lives. But he does it from a place of rest. And where are we? We are seated in Christ in the heavenly places. So the Father sees us seated in that place of rest. And it is from that place of rest that we as sons and daughters can exercise the quiet authority that he gives us. I don't believe that authority is uh, dependent on how loud you pray or how loud you shout. I believe authority is dependent on the anointing that comes out of relationship. That's what we see with Jesus. We see that really clearly in the the book of Hebrews, that it's all because of relationship. And sometimes people think a little bit, the louder they shout or the more fervently they pray, the more authority they've got. It's nothing to do with authority. It's just volume. Authority comes out of relationship. And, um, you know, as far as the Father is concerned, Paul says, we are seated in that place of rest with him in heavenly places. And that, like Jesus, is how we can live. And when we're bringing heaven to earth, we're doing it from that place of rest. Not a place of striving, not a place of performance, but a place of rest. And um, you know, I think this is so different to what many of us may have been taught. Because you know, we've been taught that it's, it's more about us and what we do. But it's actually nothing to do with us. It's all about what he's done and what he's doing. And authority comes out of relationship. And the more we, the the more um, our roots go down into love, that the more we're rooted and grounded in love, 
the more the deeper our relationship is with the Father, the more intimate that relationship is, and the greater uh, the authority will be. I was thinking a um, little bit earlier before we went live um, about authority and anointing. And I was trying to think which one comes first. And I think they just both go together. Because the more, you know, anointing comes out of authority, but authority comes out of anointing. And these two things, um, they're almost synonymous. They grow together. And, um, you know, maybe they're the same thing. Uh, but either way, I cannot make myself, you cannot make yourself anointed. You know, you can put on a good performance, but you have to remember it's only an act. But, you know, true anointing, true authority is given to us and it comes out of that relationship that we have with, with our Father. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. I want, I want to keep reiterating that authority is given to sons and daughters. Because sadly, and many of you will have experienced this, but sadly in the church there's been an abuse of authority and it has led to people being controlling and manipulative. And all that does is make the other person look good and make us feel bad. And that's why it's one of these things that we want to run a mile from. <laughs> because we've all been hurt and wounded by it. And um, you know that's why we put up a barrier. But, but actually what the Father wants to do is to equip us and anoint us to bring change to this broken world. And we do that as sons and daughters. You know, we, we know the story in Matthew chapter 8 uh, when the Roman centurion wanted his servant healed. He came to Jesus and you know, tells him the servant is ill. And Jesus' Jesus's reply is, I will come and heal him. But the centurion can see the authority that Jesus has. And he says to Jesus, no, 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 it's okay, you don't need to come. You know, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Matthew chapter 8 verse 8, the, the, the centurion says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, that centurion had been given authority by, by the Roman governor. So he wasn't acting on his own account, he was acting on behalf of another. And his, his soldiers knew that. They knew that the centurion was their immediate boss, but he was acting on behalf of the governor. So for them it was very clear that that authority had been given to him. But he sees something in Jesus and he says, he says to Jesus, you've got authority. You've got an authority that I haven't got. You've got a greater authority. You know, all you need to do is just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And of course, Jesus did and he was. And I think there's something quiet about authority because it becomes part of who we are as sons and daughters. You know, one of the things I find very interesting reading the gospel accounts is when Jesus healed, 
he didn't shout he just said very quietly you know what, what would you like me to do for you it was like a conversation you know be healed go and sin no more it was that gentle calmness that was so releasing and he could just speak the word because he knew who he was and the is that we see that in Jesus' temptation. When, it, the, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness, he's there for 40 days, and Satan comes and you know, tries to get Jesus in, in his weak moment. And, uh, you know, and he, what he tempts him on, what he challenges him on, is his relationship with the Father. You know, if you're the Son of God, prove it. And Jesus just quietly says, you know, quotes the word of God, get behind me, you know. And he just pushes Satan away, not with a loud fight or, or anything else, but just with that quiet authority. Because it was in him. And he was secure in it. He knew who he was. And this is so important for us. The more we become secure in our identity as sons and daughters, the more we know who we are, the more we know that our Father just happens to be God Almighty. And the Father has placed that authority inside of us simply because we're his sons and daughters. We can have that same quiet confidence that will enable us to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. The authority we have is not to make us look good. The authority we have is to bring freedom to the captives. The Father wants us to be free and he wants us to set other people free as well. A servant has no authority but a son or daughter has authority because he belongs to the family. Orphans are self-centred and self-seeking and therefore seek to control but sons and daughters set free and release. Going back to the story of Joseph, um, when the famine comes a few years later, his brothers come because they've heard this food in Egypt. And his brothers come to try and get some food. And of course, Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. But he, he tests them. You know, he wants to, to see, you know, where they're at. And, you know, we know the story that he, he plays a few games with them, but eventually he reveals himself and shows himself to his brothers for who he is. And, yeah, I guess they're a bit worried, a bit frightened by it. But Joseph says, you know, what, what you plan for harm, God has chosen for good. See, Joseph had the power to punish his brothers. When they came looking for food, he could have killed them. He could have put them in prison. He could have got revenge. He, he, he was in that powerful position. And he could have punished. But something had happened in his heart. So when his brother comes, when his brothers come, what he wants to do is bring restoration and provision. And so he uses his authority to bless rather than to punish. 
And that again is so different to the way of the world. Authority is, all, is often about punishment. But here we see Joseph, who had that power to punish, chooses not to, but instead he provides for his family and brings them to a safe place where they will be comfortable and well looked after. You see, that's the thing about authority. It's given to us in order to set the captives free. It's given to us in order that we can bless other people. It's given to us for the benefit more of others than of ourselves so that we can lead them into the freedom that we've discovered and that we hopefully live in. It's an authority to release them into their identity and destiny. It's an authority to bless and not to judge. I just want to finish by reading a few verses from Luke and a few verses from Isaiah 61. They're actually the same passage. Jesus is quoting the passage from Isaiah. But they're slightly different, so I want to read both of them. Jesus stood up in a temple and read from Isaiah. He said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. In Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to pro- proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and a day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. See, Jesus is talking about himself in the, in, when he reads that passage from Luke. And that passage of Isaiah is, is a prophetic passage about Jesus. But I believe those passages are also prophetic for us too. That as we live in the security of sons and daughters... We will be anointed to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to bind up the brokenhearted, to release from darkness for the prisoners and to comfort those who mourn. I believe that's the authority of sons and daughters that the Father is giving to each one of us. And it comes, we will grow in authority and as we grow in authority we will grow in anointing because he wants us to work in his family business and bring his kingdom to this earth. And as sons and daughters we have the privilege of doing that. So authority is, is not a dirty word. True God-given authority is not something to be afraid of. It's not something to run a mile from. It's not something we need to build our defences up against. Sure, 
it is when it's 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 wrongly based but when the father is giving us in authority it's something that you and i can embrace and grow in and live in because he wants us to bring his kingdom to this broken wounded messed up earth he wants to see other people set free we have an authority as sons to bless and to bring freedom and so i just want to finish by praying and just asking that the father would increase his authority in our hearts so that we can see the kingdom of heaven come so father thank you that we are your sons and daughters thank you father that you give us your authority because you are a father who wants to see change you are a father who wants to see the brokenness and the woundedness of this planet earth being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and you see us as your sons and daughters bringing that transformation to this broken world and so father i simply just want to ask that as sons and daughters as your sons and daughters we would grow in your authority not to make ourselves look good but to see other people blessed and set free and father may we be surprised by what we see you doing on this earth may we be surprised as we just listen to your voice and say what you're saying may we be surprised as we see what you're doing through us so father thank you that you're a good father and thank you that all of your promises are backed up by the power and the authority of heaven itself amen well thank you all once again for being with me this evening being with me today um, the video will be um, online probably later tonight or tomorrow and next week it will be Barry and I back uh, together so look forward to seeing you then bye for now